Welcome back to the Core EM Podcast. Core content for anyone, anywhere, and just in time. This is the official podcast of the NYU Bellevue EM Residency Program. I'm Anand Swami Nathan. And I'm Jenny Beck Esme. So, Jenny, we have been delving into tox. We've done a post on last, the uh, local anesthetic systemic toxicity. We did carbon monoxide last week. And this week, I think we're going to dive into another tox topic. This one really goes along with the same theme of hemoglobin, but it's going to be met hemoglobinemia. And all of the information here came from a talk by our toxicology fellowship director, Rana Biari. Are you ready to dive into met hemoglobin? Let's do it. I'm sure that you've had tons of these cases, right? So you are very comfortable with this. And this is all just going to be a quick review. Yeah, we see these all the time. Like at least once a week, I'm getting a methemoglobin. Yeah, no, yeah, no. exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I've only had one case and it was a patient who came from the endoscopy suite after a bronch. And I'm like, oh, that guy's blue. This is an easy one. But we're getting a little ahead that. of ourselves. Let's start with the basics here. A little background, a little pathophys. So methemoglobin occurs with the iron atom in the hemoglobin losing an electron, and it goes from the two-plus state to the three-plus state. And if that made you think of chemistry in high school, you're welcome. There's always a little bit of methemoglobin in the body, but it's usually less than about 1% of all of your hemoglobin. Normally, what happens is that the NADH methemoglobin reductase, along with a couple of other enzymes, keeps the oxidative stress at bay and reduces that three-plus state back to the two-plus state. The change in hemoglobin to methemoglobin prevents oxygen from binding to iron. Additionally, the oxygen affinity of the non-oxidized iron increases. This leads to the oxyhemoglobin dissociation curve shifting to the left and ultimately leads to decreased tissue oxygen delivery. All right, so now that we understand a bit of the pathophysiology, how do these patients present? The symptoms are really going to depend on the methemoglobin level. The higher the level, the more severe the symptoms. I like that. We'll drop a table in the show notes, but typically you'll see signs and symptoms that start to develop around a methemoglobin level of about 15%. Around this level, your oxygen saturation monitor is going to show drops in the sat. The patient will probably have some cyanosis, as well as their blood is going to have this chocolate brown appearance. As the methemoglobin concentration climbs to the 20 to 50% range, the patients are going to feel dyspneic and short of breath, fatigue, dizziness, weakness, and they may even syncopize. Above 50, the symptoms and signs become more severe, tachypnea, metabolic acidosis, dysrhythmia, seizures, and eventually CNS depression. At the end of this, well, patients become severely hypoxic, and if we don't give them the antidote, they're going to die. So clearly, we do not want to get to that point. So we're going to be focused on recognition, identifying the underlying cause, and treatment. Now, there are patients that are going to have hereditary methemoglobinemia, and this typically results from the absence of the reducing enzymes. More commonly, though, we're going to see an acquired methemoglobinemia from a number of medications that we use, including amyl nitrite, dapsone, nitroprusside, phenazopyridine, sodium nitrite, and topical anesthetics like benzocaine. Of that list, I think the phenazopyridine or the peridium, a urinary anesthetic we often prescribe in UTIs, dapsone, which we commonly use in patients with HIV and AIDS, and the benzocaine are the ones that we most commonly see. Rana started off her talk discussing a patient who was sent from the GI suite after having desaturations and cyanosis, which was definitely due to the benzocaine, which was sprayed in the upper airway. There are some other common non-medical causes as well that we should discuss that these include things like contaminated well water curing salts, and poppers with isobutyl nitrite. So Jenny, do you know the famous medical detective case of the 11 blue men? 
I actually don't, but I hope you're going to tell me. Oh, we have to talk about it. This is like a medical detective case back from the 40s. So there was 11 men who developed a blue hue to their skin. They had some abdominal cramping, vomiting, and some confusion. Now, after a bit of epidemiological detective work, it turned out that all 11 were eating oatmeal at a restaurant where the salt had mistakenly been replaced with saltpeter, which is basically sodium nitrate. This didn't affect the taste of the oatmeal, but gave these 11 patients methemoglobinemia. It's a pretty cool case. That is really cool. But that's also a good note. Do not replace your table salt with saltpeter. Uh, that is Who a good knew? note. I was thinking about it, actually. I was going to yeah. replace my salt with saltpeter. <laughs> don't do it. Just don't do it. If you come in blue, I'm going to know what happened. <laughs> yeah. Now, See, now you have to tip off. We're ready to go. <laughs> so if you're going to get a patient like this, what's going to set you off to think about methemoglobinemia? The blue color to the skin has to at least make you think about the diagnosis, but you know, cyanosis can occur simply because you've got frank hypoxia. If the patient just came from the endoscopy suite, that might be the good tip off. And like I said, that was the patient that I had. We figured that one out pretty quickly, but you're going to have to look out for those medications that we mentioned. Beyond that, response to or lack of response to basic supportive treatment can help you make the diagnosis as well. So if a patient comes in with a new hypoxia, we're going to put them on 100% FiO2. That's what we do. If that fixes the problem immediately, then you're probably not dealing with methemoglobinemia. But if the patient doesn't respond to their supplemental oxygen, methemoglobinemia is something that you really need to think about. And that was one of Rana's big messages. Cyanosis and a low O2 sat that doesn't respond to O2, think methemoglobinemia and send a coox panel, which is going to clinch the diagnosis. Let's say that we do get tipped off, we send the coox, and the level is above normal. How do we treat it? First of all, as with most tox things, remove the inciting chemical first if possible. Now, most of the time, this isn't feasible because the patient isn't receiving continuous benzocaine, so you can't just stop it, and you can't take the dapsone out of their body if they've already got it in their body. But if the patient is on something like a nitroprusside infusion, then yeah, you can stop that. Since severe cases can have hemodynamic collapse, we want to carefully look for signs of malperfusion and tissue hypoxia and resuscitate aggressively. Directed treatment is really going to depend on the level of the symptoms. So if the methemoglobin level is greater than 25%, most resources recommend antidote administration. If the level is less than 25%, then your symptoms are just going to help you guide the management. If the patient is hypoxic with abnormal vital signs, metabolic acidosis, or has any signs of end organ dysfunction, then you're just going to need to treat regardless of the level. If the patient is asymptomatic with a level that's less than 25%, then you can observe and reassess. So you have to help let the symptoms guide. All right, so let's review that one more time. No symptoms or minimal symptoms, level less than 25%, observe and reassess. Level over 25% or presence of hypoxia, abnormal vital signs, metabolic acidosis, or end organ dysfunction, treat. And the antidote here, the treatment, is methylene blue. This is the disturbing situation of giving the blue patient, the patient who looks a little bit like a Smurf, an infusion of a blue medication, and that cures them because, of course, blue plus blue equals normal. Methylene blue is typically recommended to be given as a bolus of one to two mg per kg over five minutes, but since none of us do this very often, this is a good place to get on the phone and talk to your toxicology consultant to help guide management. If the patient responds to that first dose, observe them and then no further treatment is going to be needed. If they don't respond, you can consider giving them a second dose, but you also need to think of some other things, like are they continuing to be exposed to their inciting offensive medication? 
Um, maybe they have one of the hereditary forms of methemoglobinemia, or is there this actually not methemoglobinemia and something else like sulfhemoglobinemia? There's a really nice chart of the treatment algorithm in Goldfrank's toxicology, so we'll drop a link to that in the show notes as well. One potential area of warning for this approach is that in patients with G6PD deficiency, methylene blue has a mild oxidant property, and it's possible that it can push these patients into hemolysis. But it's unclear if this is a real phenomena or just hypothetical. Again, if you don't know if the patient has G6PD deficiency, you're just going to plug ahead. But if you know they have it, it might be a good place to get your tox consultant on the line and again, ask them to help you guide your treatment. All right, Jenny, that's a quick review of methemoglobinemia, but I think it gives everyone the tools they need to take care of these patients when they see them and, of course, to identify them in the first place. So how about we review the take-home points? Absolutely. First, methemoglobinemia occurs as a result of various medications, including amyl nitrite, dapsone, nitroprusside, phenazopyridine, sodium nitrite, and benzocaine. Second, patients are going to present with cyanosis, maybe shortness of breath, fatigue, dizziness, weakness, and ultimately they could have CNS depression and death at higher concentrations. Third, if you have a patient that's cyanotic or hypoxic and does not seem to be responding to their supplemental oxygen, think about methemoglobinemia and send your coox panel. Next, if the level is less than 25% and the patient is asymptomatic, you can just observe. But if the level is more than 25% or the patient is symptomatic, you're going to want to treat with the antidote methylene blue, which is given as a bolus of 1 to 2 mg per kg over 5 minutes. And then last, as always, make sure to call your local poison center to get your toxicologists involved. They can be really helpful with dosing, and they're also going to be an important player in any of the public health components of cases like this to make sure this is just an isolated incident and we don't have a repeat of the 11 blue men situation. Well, that's all for the Core EM podcast this week. Come on over and check out the site at coreem.net. We've got a ton of great core content emergency medicine. We'll have a core post up on Wednesday and a journal update up on Thursday. Don't forget to check out our Facebook page, follow us on Google Plus and on Twitter where our handle is at core underscore EM. Thanks and see you all next week. <laughs>